Ready? Three, two, one. Hello, welcome to episode three of Artist Impressions. This week I'm joined by Bryony Dalthwaite, who is a Glasgow-based printmaker, painter, jewellery maker, video artist, and also a pal of mine. We went to Arts University Bournemouth for our foundation a long time ago now, uh, in 2015. Hi Bryony, how are you? Hello Laura, how are you? I'm good. When I was writing your introduction, I didn't quite know how to define your practice. How would you define you as an artist? I guess, um, gosh, I, I think it's a little bit difficult, especially when you leave arts uni for the first time and you're sort of trying to figure yourself out particularly when that year has been 2019-2020 which has meant that most people are trying to diversify their practice um I think for me I I do have very kind of separate disciplines I'd probably say that my my sort of primary art practice is multidisciplinary video work and like photo collage but I, I I sort of I'm a bit of a bit of a jack of all trades a renaissance woman um with the whole um so sort of, I also have my illustrations my jewelry making that sort of came out of a a desire to create after art school that wasn't creating in a a sort of fine art context. I'm not, I'm not sure if this is the experience of a lot of people at art school, but I felt after I'd sort of finished that I hated all the work I'd have done uh, and I felt very, <laughs> very sort of drained by the whole degree show process and a little bit disillusioned about myself and my practice. And and the, 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 the illustration and the jewellery were a way to sort of f- fall in love again with, with sort of the idea of making... Um, just for the sake of making and the sake of giving my work to people. (laughs) Along those lines, do you think you'll return to more sort of analogue, practical ways of making art was like a a response to you having done a lot of digital work at art school? I think it probably was. I was always sort of trying to get a bit more back to the the analogue ways of making. So, um, and I, I, I was kind of... Pushing that direction, um, coming up to my my degree show, which was, for example, I made a couple of sculptures during my fourth year that were to do with sort of re-analoguing sort of memes and internet pieces of internet culture. So I, for example, I made I made a, a long egg, which um, was sort of as a background was sort of uh, inspired by. 1970s food cookery so 1950s 60s 70s sort of late state like uh capitalism's heyday of cookery uh and there's something a such thing as a long egg which um i was just obsessed with because it's quite hard to make and they used to make apparatus that would facilitate long egg making but which seems to be a bit of a a lost art (laughs) and so i decided that although maybe i didn't have the culinary skills to try to attempt making a long egg i could at least make one out of silicone as a prop for one of my video pieces which 
I probably should have um, foreseen how uh, phallic it would have been, but um, I don't think <laughs> I necessarily, when I was making it, I was just excited about making a long egg out of silicone and it, it turned into quite a, a, yeah, phallic sex toy symbol, but a, quite a kitsch one, which I really enjoyed. For listeners, I'll just describe a bit of, um, so Bryony's, the culmination of Bryony's fourth year work included a series of video works, which they are very like sensual, tactile films, which all have this sort of 60s, 70s housewifey aesthetic, which you describe as um, looking at the duality of disgust and desire and considering indulgence online and the sexualization of consumption. So this, this long egg fits into these series of videos somewhere um yeah you've got this long egg and you're fiddling with it and it is very it's it is very phallic but there's also something a little bit nipply about the two (laughs) the two yolks and um there's also some uh cream cakes with nipply cherries on so yeah that's just for listeners (laughs) um as a bit of as a context for this um egg i think my 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 work really is is about that it's i i kind of I like playing, yeah, with the duality of desire and disgust and the titillation of it all, I think, really. I'm very much a bit of a a bit of a magpie for particularly digital culture and I find it really fun. I think the the surrealist maybe the unintentional surrealism of the online as a space, I think I, I really very much enjoy and I, I guess I could intellectualise my work as much as I, I want to with saying, you know, it is about um sort of maybe the fetishization of performativity online, the the rendered human, but I think really what it boils down to is my fascinations for sort of um, playfulness in post-net culture and uh, personal romanticization of, of surrealis- surrealism and taking things out of context. And I did a series of works about eggs, um, which really about not only is the egg a theme in surrealist literature, like in the story of the uh, of an eye, but it's it's such a feminine symbol. It's also such a emotive food stuff it's both disgusting and delicious there was a, a piece i did called agnes which i i uh, ingested uh, a whole egg and uh, spent a while passing the egg in and out of my mouth with a um colored sort of marigold on without popping it and it was all about the act of popping is almost like the act of climax it's also a bit of, sort of poking fun it's a bit kitsch yeah it's sort of about yeah just that duality of disgust and desire sort of not wanting to look but not wanting to to look away which I think is such a prevalent thing online especially with how much time we've all been spending online over the past six months. You're so right and I just re-watched your film Crema and I did have to rewind when you at the, the beginning of this video you um let a, a creme caramel out of its pot and then when you slurp it up I did have to rewind and watch it again because it's so compellingly gross how this entire creme caramel just like disappears appears into your mouth i don't know what my point was but other i just i did have to rewind because 
I wanted to see it again, even though it was so gross. And that's that's what I love. I um, you referenced earlier about my sort of aesthetic decisions, nineteen fifties, sixties housewife aesthetics. What I like to call pearlescent femininity. I I just love how maybe I'm co-opting that to a certain extent, but how playful it can be, how kitsch, how camp, and how that really adds to the tongue-in-cheek nature of it all. Because um, Crema was one of my pieces where I'm directly referencing a viral internet trend, which is obviously the sucking up of a creme caramel usually it doesn't go so well for people and it ends up coming out their noses <laughs> I really love the sort of accidental poeticisms of online culture things like during my research there was a video that I found that I was particularly taken by which was it was a educational study of mastication by a French uh, dentistry school but the, the way it was shot and the way it was edited was so beautifully surreal it was um, close-ups of just the insides of people's mouths wearing those cheek guards chewing exploring the act of chewing on different different foodstuffs all which were cut into perfect squares and there was black freeze frames with the word pom and then <laughs> a perfectly square piece of apple being chewed by various different disembodied mouths and I think that's what yeah it is it is all about for me the online and how we sort of I think in art it's so easy to take oneself very seriously and I guess maybe some of my work is about the opposite of that whereas you know if someone doesn't get it or if someone doesn't like it it doesn't matter for me because for me art is more about the the response what you feel whether you feel uncomfortable whether you feel interested and not really knowing why because I think that's my experience of, of sort of online culture is not really understanding why things go viral watching things dirty little secrets I think I like but in quite a playful playful way like little little obsessions that everyone has in their day-to-day lives yeah and and that has become so much more prevalent now that we all spend our entire lives on the internet in in covid on on the note about the um the housewifiness i really love how you make that surreal because i think to us now the idea of being a pearlescent housewife is almost a sort of comical surreal idea and the idea of like playing out being a housewife in that pearlescent way with your marigolds presenting your long eggs is such a surreal idea and it's quite fun to see it taken out of its sort of purified context into a much more like playful dirty idea for me i'm i mean my work is about femininity and it's very much playing on the sort of tropes of femininity particularly in visual representation because there's a lot of arguments about the online space and how maybe it's just another platform for women to perform on it's a bit like that. There's a there's a John Berger quote. Um, it's men act and women appear. Men look at women. Women watch themselves being looked at. And the surveyor of women is in herself is male. And I was thinking about that quote quite a lot and then how I don't necessarily agree with it because I think maybe na- maybe now we have the luxury of being women who act and being women who watch and being voyeurs ourselves. Because I think as as much as a lot is made of the male gaze, I believe that there is definitely a female gaze online. And maybe the online space and the fact that we're, we're sort of almost uploading ourselves into a separate but dualistic sort of 
environment means that we can maybe get away from gendered observations because we're sort of hiding behind our avatar, sort of avatar. So I think I think it's really a opportunity to be to really explore the female voyeur and the the joys of voyeurism, be they sort of untoward or not and the sort of complicit voyeurism that's a little bit more fun and not not necessarily as objectifying as other forms on that note can we talk a little bit about a slightly more recent work that you posted on your instagram where you were looking at you were creating masks from digital renderings and ai generated faces i was wondering does that fit into your idea of thinking about our avatars and um that was another form of trying to get back onto analog like we were talking about earlier (laughs) i became really fascinated about deep fakes in particular and i know there's a lot in media about deep fakes and how they're you know being used to create um artificial sort of revenge porn videos and video taking away women's licenses by unconsensually putting them in pornographic videos but I couldn't really get past the mental picture of Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible films. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I think as much as much as these technologies can be used in a negative way to sort of maybe negatively influence politics or become another tool to oppress the sort of the fem- the female body. I think I found it quite an exciting idea and how would that look in a physical sense? So looking a lot into digitally created faces. There's a there's a website um, called this face does not exist and every time you refresh the page a perfectly rendered face that looks super hyper realistic definitely like a real person will appear on your screen and that person does not exist at all and it's just a computer rendering god wow very matrix very you live in a simulation sort of uh, thing but uh i i took some image of these images and i also took 3d scans of different people's faces and then created a vacuform mask which are hydro dipped onto sort of creating almost like a physical 3d mask of a rendered um, digital non-existent person sort of making that person more real putting it into the space I, I like the idea of maybe you know the deep fake technology but real I find it <laughs> I find it quite funny, the idea of like literally putting on another face, putting on your avatar's identity, because I think as much as, um, you know, identity and the way we present, I think the internet and online is simply a microcosm of it. I think it allows us to be a lot more than maybe we feel comfortable being in real life. And I, I kind of like the the slightly absurd implications of that if you were to take it into... A more yeah. a more physical context yeah and and sort of what happens when you blur that line between the real world and the digital world because they are becoming blurred and in the way of deep fakes and it is interesting when you when you bring a, a, a physical version of the online into into the world it's also interesting because when i saw that image of um your mask on instagram i couldn't tell if you if that was a physical thing or a a digital work so that is it's interesting that it actually is an analog piece even though it 
was talking about digital. I guess on that note, I um I feel like I'm being a bit pokey in, in the same place, but um I'm really interested in how like your work is so some of it is so analog and some of it is so digital, and yet all of your digital work is so tactile and is even though it's online or like through through digital medium, it's still about bodies and sensuality and like haptic. So yeah, I was wondering sort of what I don't really know what the question is there, but that. I, I get what you're talking about. I think for me, I really enjoy making art about feeling. I really, I, I definitely very much am in admiration of people who work is very theoretical and very conceptual. But I think for me, what makes me happy in, in making is all about sort of emotional responses, very visceral things. And I think that's, I guess that's me trying to marry my dual obsessions of internet culture and um, all of the surrealism and absurdity and joy, I think, can be encapsulated by that sort of realm of visual image. And also the the physical and the, the visceral. I like, yeah, I really like art that makes you feel something bodily. I think it can really, whether that be... A beautiful object that you hold or a squirmy jelly or something like that that you see someone else eating I think um, some of my work that I've made I've encouraged the viewer particularly with my video work thinking about how I can more clearly bridge that gap that I think is important to bridge between the physical and the the digital. I've done a few pieces where I've encouraged the audience to eat at the same time as as the they view someone eating. So a piece I did in my third year exhibition, I I had a big screen up uh, where I was eating eating food as the video became longer. Different disembodied hands were joining in to feed me, and in the end, it turned into sort of a bit of a subtle hints to sort of a sexual pornographication being force fed, and and little pop ups saying a view one more person is watching, another person is watching. But rather than letting the um, the viewer in the gallery be complicit as a sort of a, an added person to the, the virtual chat room, I also encouraged them to eat from an um, absurdly large pile of bananas that lay before the screen. So they not only were being complicit in a sort of a objectifying way, but actually joining in and being the subject a little bit more. Another piece I've done that's sort of similar, I guess it's just all, I'm just trying to sort of marry these things up and maybe I haven't worked out necessarily how to do that. But it's interesting that you asked that question because it is is definitely an obsession of mine to try to sort of marry these two concepts up of the digital and the analogue. Um, one piece I did was a, um, a reference to Mark Quinn's self, which is his head cast in blood and sort of frozen. And as as much as, you know, whatever you think about that piece, I found it maybe slightly on the surface level, a bit sort of narcissistic. But I think you know, what is it to be an artist um, that deals with self and identity? Um, you, you use yourself in it as much the same way I do. But I quite like the idea of sort of riffing off that. So I made myself um, a, a face mould and I, I cast myself in veggie jelly, ve- veggie pate and served <laughs> myself at a crit. Sort of my face in veggie jelly and people were very reluctant to... <laughs> 
partake of it. <laughs> but I quite like the idea of not only is the artist rendered itself in, in a visceral form, but you, you as a, a viewer aren't just encouraged to consume their art, you're encouraged to consume the art artist, which maybe was a, a bit of a a clumsy exploration but I just quite liked it I think I'm very interested in artwork that not only delves deeper into sort of these themes but is also on a surface level has a humour to it has a has an emotive response because I think that's that's just the sort of work that excites me and I think it's I I do get frustrated sometimes as much as the, the this artwork is absolutely beautiful and great I think I do get frustrated at the sort of the elitism in some levels of art. And I think I like art that everyone can sort of access and it doesn't really matter what they take from it, just that yeah. they have felt that they can take from it. And I think um, yeah. that's what I find, I guess, maybe that's what I find so brilliant about visual culture online and it, that it's so democratised. Mm. And that, you know, once you've created an image online, you're kind of unable to control where that goes or who it goes to that a digital image can be inf infinitely replicated and duplicated and edited and uh i kind of love that that the the artwork or the picture of the artwork can be taken in so many different directions regardless of whether you as the person who made it who set it up who created it in an analog way has any control over that yeah and that's interesting because i think if, if you make an analogue artwork, you can't often see how it moves through the world. Whereas if it's on the internet, you can see who's sharing it, who's commenting on it, who's making memes out of it. And you can actually watch its journey as it becomes part of the world. Let's talk a bit about what you're up to at the moment and um, this year, because I know you got your first studio in January and then... Very soon after you had to not work in your studio. So yeah, what were you up to just before the pandemic and how did the pandemic alter what you were working on? Um, well, yeah, sort of 2020 has been an interesting year, particularly for someone like myself who makes artwork about digital online spaces because mm -hmm. I feel like the discourse online definitely got very, uh, very sort of different in 2020. Lots of people joined the conversation. There was so much bad news, so much contentious news that I feel like maybe it, it contributed to me definitely diving a bit more into the analogue. Because although being in my bedroom, I had more access to the online than I did to the physical I think if you make work like I do that sort of is all about, has an element of joy and surrealism, I felt 2020 was maybe a year that was too too negative and a bit too surreal. Like, surre what's the point in making surreal artwork when the world itself feels surreal? But yeah, really get back into making things itself. I think one of the brilliant things, which I'm apprehensive to say because as much as something brilliant can come out of something so so disruptive and so detrimental to so many people. I think it's really encouraged a lot of people to, and a lot of creatives especially that are just leaving university or have just left university and have been sort of ground down by the job hunt that you're thrown into. 
uh, post-graduation, I think it's encouraged a lot of people to be their own boss and, and see their artwork as a valid means of a valid means of business and a valid means of employment. Sort of, I started a, a venture making earrings that were sort of made in response and as a, like a direct result of illustration. And I, li- I, I think I really like the idea of people having my artwork... <laughs> although no matter how um maybe self-indulgent that's that sort of sounds when I say it out loud I think I really like bringing joy to people and having things and I'm a bit of a hoarder myself so I sort of saw that as a maybe a a way that I could both capitalize on myself as a creative (laughs) in these times but also as a way to sort of get get things into the hands of people which um, would make me happy and hopefully them happy as well. And and also you took your earrings to art fairs and things, so it must have helped sort of create a, a community of artists in Glasgow. It's really good. Glasgow has really wonderful spaces for early career artists, especially in the year that I graduated because a couple of my um, peers on GSA printmaking founded uh, a community called Salt Space, which is explicitly for early um, early career artists showcasing their work, running workshops. Other places like, um, yeah, as you said, Glasgow Art Fairs, there's so many places, so many things encouraging artists that are early in their career in Glasgow. And I think it's, it's a very, as much as it's a bit of a cliche city, it's a very DIY city. If you want something, you, you need to sort of do it yourself, but um, you're sort of... In, encouraged and uh, rewarded for that it's very much a place where you can make a difference and if you want to join a community there's always a burgeoning community ready to open you with our welcome arms oh so nice i meant to warn you at the beginning that i always ask my um guests to name the episode so um i'll ask you again at the end but have a little think about what you want to name the episode. Yes, yeah, so so let's let's come back to sort of right now. What are you working on at the moment and where do you where do you feel your work going? Or is it a bit too early to say are we still in in this <laughs> this lockdown period that's I think I'm uh mainly probably just continuing with the sort of explorations that I've done in the past. I definitely want to um continue sculptural elements in my work like what we talked about with with the deep fakes and making making masks physical masks of avatars i think uh, i'm not really done flogging the old horse i think of my main obsessions i think with my work because it because i see it as an exploration rather than a sort of answer it always sort of is a one big drawn on uh elongated approach but um i have been getting a bit more fascinated with different different mediums especially in lockdown for example TikTok <laughs> has become a bit of a uh, staple in my household. My my flatmate and fellow artist Georgia Holman introduced me in a very big way to it. So I think maybe something to do with the idea of a short video, the idea of constantly replaying videos, and the popularity of sort of in the format of these short snippets. I think could be quite interesting to explore. There's so much to mine of this year's online culture. There's there's a lot a lot more for you to to if explore. If I've taken a back seat for a wee while, <laughs> I can definitely. Right. Let's move on to some questions that I ask everyone. Can you talk about an artist who's made a big impression on your you and your work? Now, this I did. I was thinking about this, and I did find this uh, a wee bit tricky to answer because I think for me, 
there's so many different aspects there's not one aspect and one artist that I think really influences me the first it's actually an artist duo that I I sort of when I first started art uni I, I sort of caught wind of them um that they really it really encouraged me their work that the path I was going along um exploring post-net culture was a tree worth barking up which was um the the Italian artist duo um, Frank and Eva Matez, and they make quite beautiful online-based artwork. They made a series of artwork, and this is sort of an ongoing series where they take Google image search results for phrases, and then they print the images on various different objects through uh, customising services that they find online. So there's, I know there's one, um, one for panic attack, and it's a girl having a panic attack, but they've printed it using these online services on um, on a shower curtain and a, a, a table tennis bat, a, ba- a bath mat for the one uh, for censorship, a dummy. And I sort of love that sort of maybe it has a, it has a home in sort of a, a Dadaistic approach to images. They've also got a, a work at the moment called Ceiling Cat, which is based off the, the Ceiling Cat meme of the early 2000s, which sort of made its way through, you know, I can has a burger cat sort of subculture, in which they've sort of replicated the meme itself with a taxidermied cat and install it into different ceilings. I love that. So I, 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 I like the, the reverence to early online culture, and I think seeing their work and the different works they've done they also paid a individual to give up his phone and all of the images on it for them to be presented in a film so this man's images i think from 2014 to 2017 are public easily accessible public sort of um knowledge now things like that i I think i really like the sentiment behind their work of just being able to be valid making work about post-net culture i think Especially being on a painting degree, I found that, you know, there's all those arguments whether painting is dead, etc, etc. And a lot of people who <laughs> who made paintings that, that stayed very much in the realm of, I don't know, um, expressionism or classical painting narratives. And I think for me it seemed quite funny to make work, or, although I still in some elements do make work that's not about the online. I felt like the online was such a huge presence in everyone's lives mm. and not many people were being honest about that and it's and or acknowledging mm. it especially as an artist being an artist and an early career artist in this time particularly you know you're expected to have a website and post regularly on your instagram and i think it's it's so different from an experience of anyone at art school even even 15 years ago 10 years yeah. ago no one could really give us straight answers on how we were expected to behave mm. whether we should present a very professional idea of our artwork online or be a bit more of a personality it's all very interesting that added element of being an artist performing your art and performing your role as an artist in a personal sense as well as a, a professional sense so I think that they're, they're, they're artists that I really I really look up to and mm. really admire then the next question we've probably covered it a little bit but what impression do you want your work to make on the world yeah um I think my impression that I want to make on the on the on the world or at least people who see my artwork is just just sort of a um feeling just just a feeling i think as much as i think if people are very interested in my work they can hopefully glean 
uh, snippets of my references and my um, objectives of looking at disgust and desire and taboo and transgression and the sort of the joy in the obscene I think really for me it is about feeling it's about emotive response it's about people feeling that even if they maybe didn't like it that they they felt something yeah I think it is for me about people just giving giving whatever spin that they decide to have on it themselves sort of giving people well not a not a blank canvas but giving people agency over having their own thoughts regarding my work I think is very important for me because I think there's such a such a narrative of you know what you're expected to think and what you're expected to do when looking at an artwork which I think I find a little bit um reductive especially when I love surrealism so much (laughs) yeah I think that's so nice because I I do think particularly with sort of art that has a, a, a concept people are sort of worried about whether they get it or whether they they're engaging with it in the right way and I think that's really nice to hear that you you really want people to just engage with it how they is to instinctively come to it which is lovely my next question is um can you think of a piece of art that could be sort of of any medium that you would like everyone to encounter I think there's art for so many different things as we've already discussed and like I feel like interpretations of art is so so intensely personal but one work that I'm fond of say and I think is a concentration of all the different themes I've talked about Maria Oppenheim's um, sculpture The Object which is, is a Swiss art I think it was made in 1939 it's part of sort of maybe the the first wave of sort of surrealist sort of Dadaist sculptors and the object um is a china cup and saucer with a spoon covered in um covered in fur and i think that really encapsulates all of the things that i sort of enjoy in surrealism and art and my own practice which is the epitome of of it being something fine and refined and sort of suggestive of sort of the bourgeoisie and something functional and turning it completely infunctional and slightly disturbing i mean you've got the the obvious connotations of of sex the idea of what would it feel like to actually drink from this furry mug is (laughs) i think quite a sexual um sexually suggestive piece of work but also i think it goes deeper than that you know it's got the connotations of bourgeoisie guilt uh things like that yeah i just i just think it it really epitomizes that idea of being an object which is being an object which instigates that idea of the duality of um being something disgusting but something that's quite um beautiful as well something that you don't want to drink from but you actually quite want to drink from as well the final question of this little section is is there something you've been enjoying recently that you can recommend to listeners art film book article i've got got a couple there's um a podcast series and although it wasn't released relatively recently i think it's definitely something that's very interesting to sort of think about and listen about which is John John Ronson's podcast series he's done uh, one called the butterfly effect and one called the last days of august which are all about porn the porn industry and its sort of effect on people and the way that we interact with porn and also about the positions of women and sex workers which i think is always interesting to think about and it's something that i think a lot of people try to sort of mindfully ignore whilst also maybe consuming some of the byproducts of it so i think that's really interesting 
and that's definitely something I always uh, recommend to people. Uh, something that I think is just a little bit of fun. I just binged last night in my isolation the Queen's Gambit, uh, which I think has some absolutely beautiful, beautiful cinematography in it, and I think it's uh, a really beautiful showcasing of a female-led story, as well as something that showcases maybe people who aren't neurotypical. So I think it's really a really interesting uh, watch and something that's definitely easy to binge. <laughs> Do you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Anything you wish I'd asked you and I haven't? No, no, but I, I, I do... I, there was something that I forgot to mention, which was um, just talking about things, oddities online in reference to the idea of the sort of copyable image and the idea of the image being going off and living a life of its own. I was very taken with an article I found um, recently about how bots on Amazon, sort of um, algorithms on Amazon, which were creating products were using randomly selected images to print on phone cases and mugs and things like that but the object doesn't exist until it's bought and that there was some quite quite because obviously the the artificial intelligence doesn't necessarily know the significance of the objects there were some quite questionable images being printed on um being suggested to be printed on phone cases such as stock images of heroin heroin spoons and things like that which I found quite interesting that the idea of that there's there's not only do people exist online to manipulate these images, there's also the completely morally... There's, there's artificial intelligence that doesn't have the same understanding of morally moralness and appropriateness, which I think is quite can lead to quite funny things. Also the idea that um, there's hours and hours and hours of... Hundreds of hours of uh, music and sounds uploaded on platforms such as Spotify, which will never be which mathematically will never be listened to by anyone which I kind of I kind of love the idea of just blurting out something that means so much and spending so much time on something and sort of throwing it out there and it never being never being looked at or received I kind of like the although it sounds maybe quite depressing I kind of like the futility of that I like the idea that there's things that sort of can still be undiscovered on a very different note I just want to ask you about the massive cake in your video. Did you make it or did you have someone make it? I did make that and then uh, that was quite funny because I, I, I made it in my in my tiny studio um, student kitchen and that was quite difficult. Additionally, I was um, I was very strictly vegan at the time, so that's a vegan cake that you see, which is um, which is quite an interesting sort of adding, giving myself added hurdles to overcome. I, I'm I'm by no means a culinary wizard, and maybe that's why I like the housewife aesthetic so much because. I myself see me as nowhere near what an appropriate housewife would be, you know. But having to make the cake as well as make comments on the idea of femininity and being expected to make these cakes and being expected to make these long eggs for dinner parties to impress your husband's uh, boss and things like that, I find quite funny because me myself am actually having to make them. Yeah, I think it had an added element of you know wanting to make sure it tasted nice as well. It's been so nice to talk to you because I've only seen you a few times in the last few years I've just heard snippets of what you're working on it's been so nice to actually just like sit and listen to all your thoughts and um well it was good to um I think it's one of those things unless you and I'm quite lucky that I do have 
quite a lot of close friends that we still have these sort of discussions just over coffee but I think especially once you've been spat out of the institution it's quite nice to blow the cobwebs off every once in a while and remind yourself why you do it. These next few clips are things from a conversation Brian and I had after the interview had actually finished but I've cut a few things in that I thought would make people smile. Maybe I'm a bit too fascinated with porn and food and consumption of both of them but um, I find it really funny how photography of food and, and pornographic photography if you look at the different eras of it mirror each other so similarly in their colour palette and their photography style. I uh, I find it very funny because you you sort of get I guess you're selling two different things. Yeah. It's all like similarly sort of indulgence and sensuality and luxury. And this was a few minutes later. My favourite thing to do is to, if I find an artist that I really admire. Like on Instagram um, that I know is quite young, I will often scroll down their feed until I get to their degree show yeah. and then see how many posts they've done in the period of their degree show and a year from their degree show. And it's usually like one or two. And I, re- I always sort of, I think it can feel quite lonely after you've just graduated, especially when you're doing something creative, to like feel productive and feel the need to be productive while also sort of having the essential part-time job and or whilst looking for that part-time job and I think it can feel a little bit like you're just on a raft floating around the sea desperately trying to paddle and you can't see any land yet and I think it's definitely put into perspective that it's sort of it's not your fault dot 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 especially the online space as like a, sh- a platform for your artwork and be expected to be a business person as well as an artist. Mm. So keep yeah. up with posts, reply to things, do giveaways, make yeah. work, post every day about work, do like Inktober, you know, you do put all oh, the work yeah. of being not only your own artist, but your own publisher, your own merchandiser, your own photographer, your own, um, like customer service rep yeah yeah and 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 people want you to have like a personality they want to know all about you and Mm -hmm. your life as well and like and I think it can become quite exhausting but it's nice to know that like it's sort of everyone's sort of winging it which is quite nice because you feel so inadequate when you see other people doing well and it's like well for that person doing really well and being able to manage it you don't know what's you don't know how stressed they are and you don't and that person is one in however many so you're not doing yeah yeah it's it's the pressure of feeling inadequate and maybe not as productive and maybe the maybe the cold covid things made it seem like finally we're allowed to not need not find our value in being productive or successful whatever those words mean yeah yeah definitely and i think they have it's it's slightly diversified what those words mean as well Mm -hmm. Um, which is really nice. Right, now we're actually at the end. Okay, so nice to see you, um, and I'll speak to you really soon. Speak to you soon, I'm excited. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.